few weeks ago to <clears throat> go through our articles of faith or doctrinal statement and spent four weeks on the true God. We believe that there is one and only one living and true God, an infinite, intelligent spirit, sovereign, whose name is Jehovah, the creator and supreme ruler of heaven and earth, inexpressible glorious in holiness and worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love, that in the unity of the Godhead there are three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. We broke that down and applied the scriptures that we have listed to those statements that we find in that. This week we want to begin a new one, not a not new to the Articles of Faith, but uh, the next one in our Articles of Faith, which have to do with the Holy Scriptures. I know a few weeks ago, Wednesday evening, when we started the 18th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, we took a moment of time to look at the inspired Word of God, the God-breathed Word, because God had told Ezekiel, and Ezekiel made mention that this was the Word of God. Again, the word of God came to me saying. But this will be different, and, and there will be different uh, passages of Scripture that we'll use on this, and probably maybe a little more in-depth. The statement is concerning the Holy Scriptures. We, we believe that the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired. It is the perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It reveals the principles by which God will judge us. It is and shall remain to the end of the world and the truth of Christian union. It is the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creed, and opinions should be tried. That is our statement concerning the Holy Scriptures. Now, to break that down, Taking this first part, we believe that the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired. 
That is, God breathed. God breathed into their heart. He used men, men like you and I, holy men of God, like you and I, to write the scriptures, and he breathed it upon their hearts. He used each man that he hired that way, their style, that which was common and unique to their character, to who they were. And that's why when you get in to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are said to be you know, the Gospel of Harmony, because the, they harmonize in, in a lot of the events that they record, but Matthew will record some events differently than what Mark will record them. And Matthew and Mark will record events differently than what Luke records them. They're all the same events. doesn't mean there's any contradiction there. It's just the style and, and, and the things that, that each writer was impressed to enumerate on, to bring out in their study. So, concerning this thought about the scriptures, the Bible, being divinely inspired by men, turn with the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel, in chapter 23, Second Samuel chapter 23 and verse 1. <clears throat> now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist, of Israel said the spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue David here says the spirit of the Lord was upon me and his word was in my tongue so the Psalms and the songs which which ascribed to David. David said, they're not mine, they were God's words. They were God-breathed. It was given me by the Spirit of God. Turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, and, and this goes right along what David was saying there in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. And I want to begin reading with verse 15. The disciples, the apostles, the first church, they're gathered together 
And in those days, in what days? Jesus had just ascended into heaven. And Pentecost had not yet come. I think Jesus, uh, uh, if my mind serves me correctly, Jesus ascended approximately uh, the 40th day after his resurrection. He was here 40 days after his resurrection, and then he ascended to heaven. So somewhere between, shall we say, the 40th day and Pentecost, the 50th day, is the time that is speaking of here. In those days, in that time frame, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled with the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. And you skip down uh, a couple verses if you want to see what it was that he's referring to and, and back in, in the Psalms that David, one of the Psalms that David had written. But Peter here ascribes the words of David in that Psalms as being the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, led him, David, to pen those words in the Psalms there. Another one that we have that gives credence to this is in the book of Romans. The book of Romans chapter 3. In verse 1. We'll verses 1 and 2. What advantage hath the Jew? What advantage is there for the Jew over the Gentile? That is the comparison in chapter 2. Or what profit is there of circumcision? Circumcision, he's, he's referring, he's pointing back to the law. What, what profit is there in the law, in the law of circumcision? What profit is there in the law? Verse 2, much every way, chiefly because, primarily, first of all, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God, unto the Jews unto the nation of Israel were committed the oracles of God, the utterances of God. How did God utter to them? Well, let's, uh, we'll take time. Let's go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. book of Exodus chapter 20, and you know that in the book of Exodus chapter 20, the first 16, 17 verses, 
are the giving of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke this, these Ten Commandments, He spoke to the nation of Israel from the top of the mount out of darkness thereof. Notice what we read here in verse, uh, verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when they, the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. God uttered to them the Ten Commandments from the top of the mount, out of the darkness, out of thunderings, and so forth. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we not. They were afraid. God uttered his utterance to them, the Ten Commandments, and they said, Moses, it's okay for you to speak to us, but we don't want God to speak to us. We might die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and this fear may be before you, your face. That ye said not. <laughs> That's exactly what it was meant to do. It was God's voice in utterance was to put fear into their hearts that they would refrain from sin, that they would not sin. But they said, We don't want God to speak to us in this matter. That scares us. We die. Moses. You speak to In other words, Moses, you, you get what God has to say, and then you come and speak to us. And from there on, that's what we find. We find God speaks with Moses, and he gives him the rest of the law. He gives him, he gives him the book of Genesis. Was, was Moses there in the book of Genesis? Was, was Moses there at creation? Did Moses witness creation? Did you ever wonder how, how, how Moses could write the book of Genesis? When he wasn't there, he wasn't the eyewitness because he got it from the eyewitness that was there. Who was the eyewitness that was there? I'll give you a clue. Four words. In the beginning, God. God was eyewitness to his own creation. And he gave to Moses the creation account. He gave to Moses chapters 1 through 10, chapters 11 through 50 of the book of Genesis, as well as Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and it said that Moses wrote uh, a couple of the Psalms that, 
that we have as well are ascribed uh, to Moses. But holy men of God <laughs> spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And so Paul tells these Jews in the book of Romans that they have had every advantage because under them were committed the utterances of God. Yes, they received the Ten Commandments by God's uttering, but God uttered it to Moses. And Moses gave it to the people to carry on. Probably one of the more well-known passages of Scripture that we look at in this regard is 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter in chapter 1, verse 21. I usually like to go up two verses there because, well, let's take the time. Let's not get in too big a hurry. Let's let's go up here to uh, verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. That is, Jesus Christ received from God, honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Referring to, to Peter, James, and John going up into the mount with Jesus, and, and Jesus transfigured, and the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. The voice of God testifying to that and this voice which came from heaven we heard <laughs> we were with him in the holy mountain now now Peter is testifying Peter is given witness to it we have also a more sure sure word of prophecy a more sure word of, of instruction, of teaching. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. That's <laughs> till, till Jesus comes, until he arises in your heart. He is the day star talked about. Knowing this first, that no prophecy, no, no instruction, no written discourse, divinely inspired by God, of the scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, it's not of my interpretation, it's not of your interpretation. For the prophet, prophecy, the word of God, the, the discourse, the instructions, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They spake, they penned the word of God, and thus they speak to us here. The, Men who the Holy Spirit used to 
to pen these six books in the one book called the Bible, or called God's Word, called the Scriptures. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Scriptures is the perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. Think about that. If God is his author, and he is, then it's heavenly instructions. But our statement says that it's the perfect treasure of heavenly instructions. Treasure. What is this book to you? How valuable is this book to you? Do you value it? Do you treasure it? Some of the writers that the Holy Spirit used to pen this book counted it dear, counted it of great value, counted it of a treasure. Turn with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms in chapter 19. And you should know that David penned this night psalm. And we already know by the testimony of David's mouth that it wasn't his word, it was God's words. His spirit was upon him, and the word that was in his tongue was God's word. But in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. The Word of God, the law of God, the law of the Lord, the Word of God is perfect. It is, it is entire. It is without, without error. It is without blemish. It's God's Word. And just as God is without error, God is without blemish, God is holy. That means there's no imperfection in him whatsoever. For God is holy. The law of the Lord is perfect. Clean the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's certain. You can count on it. Making wise the simple. I've Yet to count myself a wise man, but I'm wise in Jesus Christ. Proverbs speaks of wisdom, and wisdom in the book of Proverbs is Jesus Christ, 
who in salvation, Jesus Christ has made unto us wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1 and verses 30 and 31 of the first book, first chapter of 1 Corinthians. So it makes simple men wise, wise in the Lord, wise in the things of the Lord. The statute of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, it's clean, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You can count on them. The truth. More to be desired. Notice this. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Not just more to be desired than gold. I mean, you find gold out here in the earth, and it's probably impure gold. And so he says, much fine gold. Gold that has been tried. Gold that has been put to the smelting pot. And had all the impurities removed from it. He said, it's more valuable than gold. And sweeter also. How sweet is it? Well, I don't know, but it's sweeter than honey out of the honeycomb. Right from the honeycomb. Turn with me to the 119th Psalm. The 119th Psalm. Now we can't say definitively that David is the writer of this psalm. Many brilliant minds and commentators just really don't know who wrote it. I believe it was David. I believe all through this 119th Psalm you can see the earmark David upon it. But let that be as it may, it's the word of the Lord. Whether it was David or some other man that the Holy Spirit moved upon to, to pen the words, it's the word of the Lord. Verse 72. Psalms 119, verse 72. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and than thousands of gold and silver. Well, doesn't, doesn't that sound just like what we know David penned back there in the 19th Psalm? It's things like this that make me believe is David is the penman. But, like I said, it's the Word of God. Now I ask you again, how precious, how valuable is the Word of God to you? How valuable is it to me? 
Is it more valuable than silver or gold? Is it more valuable than all the riches of the world? And you hear Christians say, oh, if I could only win the publisher's clearinghouse and get that $10 million. Used to be a million dollars back in the day. But now it's grown to $10 million. $15,000 a week for the rest of your life. Oh, if I could only win that. The psalmist says, this is more valuable than thousands of gold and silver. All the, all the wealth of the world doesn't hold a candle to this. What do you think about the Word? Skipping down with me to verse 98. Verse 98. You know, my serves me correct because this online Bible doesn't divide it up in the Hebrew alphabet. I think this is the uh, I think the 97th verse begins the 13th uh, vowel of the Hebrew alphabet. But verse 98. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Made him wiser than his enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Now that just that sounds like it's coming from a man who, who loves and values the Word of God. The same man who, who said, better to me than thousands of gold and silver. You see, if, if it's that valuable, you, you do increase in wisdom, you do increase in understanding, <laughs> you do meditate upon them. You do think upon them. Do you ever find yourself thinking upon a passage of Scripture? Thinking upon the Word of God? Meditating upon it? Tearing it apart? What is God saying to me here? How can I, how can I apply it to my life? Is it useful? To me, look at verse 100. I understand more than ancients. <laughs> more than my forefathers. They were before me. I understand more than them. Because I keep thy precepts. Folks, <laughs> there's where you and I manifest an understanding of the Word of God by our obedience. If we say, oh, we understand the Word of God, we understand this passage of Scripture, and, and we, we love this passage of Scripture, but if we do not obey it, 
then we lack understanding. The fear of the Lord is with understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord giveth understanding. Turn with me now. Scroll with me down to verse 103. The same penman, the same psalmist. How sweet are thy words my taste. <laughs> That's an exclamation point. He's exclaiming, they're sweet. How sweet? I don't know, but they're sweet. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. They're sweeter than honey. I mean, I think honey is pretty complicated. I don't need a whole lot of it to, to sweeten things up. I drink a cocktail. Don't get up in arms. I said cocktail, but I drink a cocktail that I mix. It's supposed to be health benefits, and it is. It involves eight ounces of water, a half a teaspoon of cinnamon. I only put a teaspoon and a half of honey in that water, and two tablespoons of raw apple cider vinegar. And I can taste the sweetness coming out of that raw apple cider vinegar when I drink it down. I make the same thing for my wife, and I have to make it with three teaspoons of honey in hers because she can't go with the Two tablespoons of raw apple cider vinegar. Yeah, I just to say he says it's sweeter than honey. It really is there anything sweeter than honey to sweeten things with? I mean, yeah, we have confectioner's sugar and brown sugar and and refined white granular sugar and, and all of that. But, but honey is sweet. This, he's, what is he saying here in this verse 103? He's saying it's precious to him. It's valuable. It's good. You see. Well, Go with me to the back to the 18th chapter of this psalm. The 18th psalm in verse 30. And the psalmist says, As for God, His way is perfect. His way is Entire, it is complete, it is without blemish, it is without error. The word of the Lord is tried. That is, it, is, it has been put to the smelting pot. 
The word of the Lord is tried and is pure. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. Sounds like these men enjoyed the word of the Lord. Sounds like these men treasured the word of the Lord. Members of the Lord's church here in Melbourne, Florida, Grace Baptist Church here in Melbourne, Florida, we're saying in our doctrinal statement that the word of God is a treasure. It's a perfect treasure. No error in it. It's tried. It's pure. It's from God. Therefore, it's an heavenly instruction. One other passage on this subject. Looking at what the Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to pen in the book of Romans in chapter 7. The book of Romans in chapter 7. In verse 12. Wherefore, the law, the word of God, is holy. Holy. No imperfection. No blemish. No untruth. Nothing that's not sure. God is holy. There's no imperfection in God. He's without blemish. He's without sin. In fact, he hates sin. He, scripture tells us this is God's attitude towards sin. God is angry with the wicked every day. And their judgment, the judgment upon the wicked is to come and will come. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just. <laughs> the word just is just a uh, reiterating the holy, uh, righteous, no, no imperfection in it, no untruth in it, and good. <laughs> it's, it's good for me. It's good for you. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit of God used to convert me, to bring me to saving faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God is. A perfect. Treasure. Of heavenly. Instruction. And I thank God it is. And it, if, if you haven't already gathered. We believe that it has God for its author. Well duh. Right. If it's, if it's divinely inspired, inspiration means it's God-breathed. 
If it's God breathed, and holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Spirit of God, then God's the author. Turn with me, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 16. Uh, I got Second Thessalonians. I don't want that. Second Timothy, chapter three and verse sixteen. All Scripture How many of you know why I pause there? All Scripture. Not just what you like, but even that which you don't like. All Scripture. Every word of it is given by inspiration of God. Is God-breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2 in verse 13 and we'll look at the combination that the Holy Spirit by the writer Paul gave to the Thessalonican church. In verse 13 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when he received the word of God, which he heard of us, when we preached the Holy Scriptures, when we preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we preached the word of God, you heard it, you received it, that is, you believed it, you took it, to yourself. You took it into your heart. Notice how he commends them. Ye received it not as the word of men, not as my word and, and Timothy's word and Titus's word and other men in Silas's word and other in my company. You didn't, you didn't receive it as a, being the word of man. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. <laughs> you see, as it is in truth, the word of God. Listen, don't mount a hill of beans. 
one other scripture. I was, uh, that was going to be the last scripture. But one other scripture. Uh, and, and I'm sure, I think we'll be looking at the next week. Romans chapter 10. mistaken I'm looking for the passage I thought it was Romans 10. Uh, let God be true, but every man a liar. I know. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. Romans. In verse 4. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be just in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Men are liars. But God is true. Therefore, let us speak God's word. Speaking God's word, we're speaking the truth. And that goes to my interpretation your interpretation our interpretation may be flawed probably is flawed if it's mine but if it's the word of God it's thus saith the Lord and there is no untruth in him well we got to quit there today next week we'll take up with the thought salvation the holy scriptures have salvation for its end. That's the purpose of the Word of God. Well, we'll say this again next week. But from Genesis 1 1 through Revelation 22 and verse 21, we see the scarlet thread running all the way through it. Jesus Christ. What must men do to be saved? They must see Jesus Christ. They must repent of their sins toward God and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we'll get into that next week.